Well, this morning I have the honor to, of introducing our guest speaker. Um, he is the teaching pastor at Epic Church in San Francisco. And Epic has been one of our closest partners from the beginning when we first launched. And um, even throughout the pandemic, you may have seen uh, Will's face come out on our, um, our online services. So uh, I'm, I'm really excited to introduce uh, Will, who's here with his wife, B, his kids, Honor and Noble. And uh, let's just give him a warm welcome. Let's welcome Will Moraza to the stage. Now, there we go. All right, yeah. It really is a privilege to be with you all today. Um, absolutely love this church, love coming and being with you all. Love your pastors. Um, your, your pastors are, are just such great people. Like uh, when I think about the fruit of the spirit, right? Uh, I, and, I, and I think of them, the, the characteristic of goodness and just kindness, they're just genuine people and they're great leaders. And I'm kind of sad that I won't get to see them today, but I'm glad that they are not here and they're getting some much needed rest. And that's actually what I want to talk to us about today, is rest. Rest. Um, how many of you are like, what is that? Right? <laughs> what is that? Most of us remember the last time we felt exhausted more than we rem remember the last time we felt rested. Right? Exhaustion is a familiar friend, right? And uh, rest feels like a distant stranger. Just, we don't know what that's like. Um, you guys are in a series titled Knowing God, and one of the things that you need to know about God, because it has a direct impact on our lives, is that God is a God of rest. But if that's true, why is it that we are, as his followers, as his church, why is it that we are terrible at it? Why is it that we believe that we can go without it? Why is it that we really just don't know how to rest? We go on vacation and we come back still exhausted and in need of more rest. I struggled a little bit whether or not to teach this message on the God of rest because I do believe that the pandemic slowed us down, right? It stopped all the activity, but I started to realize and just really remember that it just stopped the physical activity because our hearts and our minds kept going and at a frantic pace. Our hearts and minds stayed busy. And what we need to realize is while everything in our world is moving faster than ever, right? Information, news, technology, transport transportation, that's not true for our souls. Right? Our, our souls haven't received an upgrade in the last 10, 20 years, right? Our souls have limits that can't be stretched. Let me give you this phrase that I, want, I wanted to stick with you. Our souls can't hustle. Our, our souls can't hustle. But when we look at our lives, so many of us are living an external life that our internal life can't keep up with. They just can't keep up. Yes, we are accomplishing more than ever, but at what price? What is it costing us? 
it's costing us a lot because we are overwhelmed, we are anxious, we are exhausted. And here's the biggest problem, I believe, with our dilemma. We believe we have no other choice. We, we believe that it has to be this way. We believe that in order to make it in this world that we have to keep our foot on the pedal and kind of just do all the things and have our kids do all the things. In order to make it in this life, in order to make something of ourselves, that we have to just keep going at it. And listen, yes, your nonstop hustle is going to get you possibly more money, more recognition, more power, more success. But again, what is it costing you? Could it be costing you the very essence of who you are? And if so, is it worth it? Jesus once asked a rhetorical question. What do you benefit if you were to gain the whole world but lose your own soul? What do you benefit? Our souls can't keep up with the pace of how most of us are living. So let me paint a picture of what it's like for our souls. If you guys haven't noticed, I'm a bit taller than the average person, um, but my wife is on the other end of the spectrum. I am 6'5", and she's 4'11", an entire 18 inches uh, between us. And so it creates an interesting dynamic whenever we are walking somewhere together. Two of her strides are equivalent to one of my strides. So I'm just strolling and she's practically running, right? She's on a full on sprint. But here's the thing, whenever we're walking together, I'm the last one to notice the discrepancy. I'm the last one to notice that I'm leaving her behind or that I'm wearing her out. And then all of a sudden she'll just stop or she'll just slow down and just kind of moderately frustrated, just say to me, I can't keep up. I can't keep up. That's what we're doing to our souls. Our souls are like, I, I can't keep up. I can't keep up. And what, you, ever, you ever seen that parent dragging their child along, right? Like, because they're just walking too slow. That's what we are doing to our souls, just dragging. And then we wonder why internally we feel all banged up and bruised. Our pace of life and our unwillingness to rest makes things unsustainable for our souls. And when I, when I, when I mention soul, when the Bible speaks of the soul, I, I'm referring to the inner life of our thoughts, of our emotions, and our will. I'm referring to that place where God is present to us. And just like my wife, our soul sends us signals that it just can't keep up. Guys, you know that anxiety and that fear that we wrestle with, it's just not normal. It's not normal. Many times it's the result of an exhausted soul. Here are some other ways that this might show up. Just do a quick assessment. Are you lacking inspiration more often than you'd like? Do you find yourself indecisive even with the simplest decisions, simplest choices? Do you constantly feel distracted? Do you constantly feel overwhelmed? Do you constantly feel exhausted? Do you constantly feel frustrated? These all might be symptoms or consequences of overhustle, of an exhausted soul. And I just want you to just take a moment before we get into our main passage for today and just be honest with yourself. Are you exhausted? I'm not just talking about a physical exhaustion because you did a long hike yesterday or you, you worked on the yard or whatever it might be. I'm talking about that inner life, 
Is your soul spent? Well, if it is, there's hope. There's hope. Because the, the Bible and the God of rest has a lot to say about this topic. God wants for you to be rested, for your soul to be rested, for your soul to be at peace, for it to be full of life and joy. And that's what we are after today. And so we're going to just read one passage of scripture. We're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. And this, if you guys have a Bible, feel free to turn there. If not, it's going to be on the screen. Let me find it myself. Jeremiah 6, 16. Again, one verse. It says this. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. You're at a crossroads. Now look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. That's what we're after, rest for our souls. But you have to ask for the ancient path. You have to ask where the good way is and then walk in it. But here's what happens sometimes. But you said, we will not walk in it. We will not walk in it. This is a fascinating passage for me. The, the context of this passage is that Jeremiah is giving the people of Israel a series of judgments against them. The, the people of Israel were not in a good place with God. And he's letting them know many of the ways that they have strayed away and abandoned God's ways. And he's trying to point them back. And it seems that at some point, the people of Israel were just exhausted. By the way, whenever we try to live this life apart from God, that's at least for me, my experience, I just feel exhausted when I'm trying to do all the things without his strength. And so that's where they find themselves at. And what God is trying to do in this passage is point them back to how they can find rest. They were at a crossroads. And that's where we are today. The question that is before us today is, are we going to conform to the fast, relentless pace of our culture? Or are we going to be transformed by the life and way of God? This passage is telling us to stand and look at where we are currently. Look at the condition of your soul. Some of you are tired. Some of you are lonely. Some of you are overwhelmed. Some of you are burned out. You need rest. But thankfully, you are at a crossroads. You can either go idly by with the way things have been, or you can seek and choose an alternative path, a path that God describes as ancient and good. And so let me just camp out on this word ancient for just a moment. Why is it that some of us believe that anything that is old is no longer useful? Right? I hope we don't feel this way about the elderly, but it, it, it's um, uh, because we're, God willing, going to be there one day. Um, John Mark Comer in his book, Live No Lies, he, he talks about chronological snobbery. And it's this general idea that the ways of the past, that the thinking of the past, for some reason, is inherently inferior. It's just less than, and unfortunately, this is how some of us approach the Bible, right? We, we just can't understand how this book that was written over 15 centuries and kind of compiled about 2,000 years ago, like how does this book have any relevance to our lives? 
And so we just simply view it as outdated. It's almost as if we assume that because we have advanced in so many areas, like we've advanced with technology, right? All of us are walking around with a, a computer in our pocket. We've advanced in regards to medicine. We're living longer than ever before. We've advanced in regards to understanding um, like science, right? We know more about our universe and our world than ever before. That just because we've advanced in those areas, we believe that we know how to live better than those who came before us. But I believe we're no better off. We're no better. In fact, in fact, I believe that we might be struggling more with our inner life than our ancestors did, and partly because of all of our technological advances. I believe we're struggling more. You, you, guys, the, the modern age, what it promised us, it's failed to deliver. It's failed. To, technology has not given, given us what it promised us. You know, we were expected to work less as technology advanced. In the 1930s, John Keynes, a British economist, he, he, he said that his great-grandchildren, with the way technology was headed, his great-grandchildren work, would work 15 hours a week. Th that's the modern-day workforce, by the way, his great-grandchildren. Anyone work 15 hours <laughs> a week, right? If you don't work more than that, you don't eat in, in, in the Bay Area, right? You, don't, you can't survive. John Keynes couldn't be more wrong about his prediction. Because of technology, rather than freeing us up so that we could have more discretionary time, more time to rest, more time to connect with God and his people, the opposite has happened, and we are working more hours now than ever before. More hours now than ever before. Ruth Haley Barton writes in her book, Sacred Rhythms, technology was supposed to help us lead saner lives, but instead it has led us to expect more of ourselves and try to cram more in. Because of technology, there's no longer a separation between the work life and the personal life. And that was great. That was a blessing in some way during the pandemic, right? Because we were able to keep our job and just transfer our work to the, to the home and work out of our bedrooms and all those different things. But we don't realize the toll that it's taking our, to our souls by having those lines blurred. And because work life and personal life is no longer separate, I believe that means that we have to work even harder to find rest, even harder to connect with with, with God and his people. It, it's, it's such a great challenge. And at the risk of sounding extreme at this point in the message, I believe that we are doing ourselves a disservice whenever we try to use technology in order to rest. I don't, I, let me ask you a serious question. Do you ever feel rested after watching like a full couple episodes of your favorite show? I don't know about you, I'm, and I'm not anti-Netflix or anything. We have Netflix. <clears throat> but all it does for me, whenever I try to use technology to kind of, like, unwind or, or to rest, all it does for me is overwhelm an already exhausted soul. Cal Newport, in his book, um, Digital Minimalist, he says, simply put, humans are not wired to be constantly wired. We're not wired to be constantly wired. And this is why I believe, going back to our main passage, we need to heed the wisdom of this passage and seek a well-known, well-worn path that when we walk in it, it has the potential, it has the ability to bring rest to our souls. 
So the encouragement is find that ancient path, find that good way, and walk in it. But before we get into the kind of the prescription, let's go back to the response of the people. This is what they said. We will not walk in it. We, it doesn't sound like crazy, but I believe just like the people of Israel, some of us can't see a way out of our rhythms. We just can't see a way. Out. We can't imagine taking a break or slowing down. The fact of the matter is, most of us are more comfortable working than resting. Most of us are more comfortable with noise than we are with silence. Most of us are more comfortable hustling, going back to that word, than relaxing. We just can't sit still. We don't know how to chill. Just relax. Now, I know I want to just kind of spotlight this word hustle for a moment. I know that in the past couple of years, the word hustle has taken on a, a positive twist in, in our work culture and leadership culture. Even within Christian circles, a lot of books talk about hustle. When you're looking for staff members, when you're looking for leaders and church planners, you want them to have this hustle. Now, hustle... In, in like, let's say in Christian circles is equated with working hard. And just in case you're wondering, I'm all for working hard, okay? I believe that pastors are some of the hardest working people there are, but many times to a fault, to a fault. Jesus worked hard. There were times in his ministry where they would forget to eat. They didn't get the chance to eat. But what do we see about Jesus? He always found time to get away. He, it always says that he would wake up early in the morning, find a lonely place, find an isolated, isolated place for what? To pray, to connect with God. So it wasn't just nonstop hustle. He would fill up, he would pour himself out. He would fill up, he would pour himself out. He, he had rhythms. So when you hear me say the word hustle, I don't want you to think about hard work. I, I'm, we're all for it a great work ethic. What I want you to picture when you hear the word hustle is someone who is in a frenzy, someone who is in a hurry. The actual definition of the word hustle paints this image. It's to move hurriedly or unceremoniously in a specified direction. It's busy movement and activity. Let me ask you a serious question. When you, when you think about the spiritual life, that, that life with God, that, that, that life that has rhythms that are able to connect with God, does the word hustle, when described this way, come to mind? No, not, not even close. The spiritual life can't be lived hustling. Rich Lotus, who is a pastor out of Queens, he wrote this great book called The Deeply Formed Life. I highly recommend it. He talks about some of these things. But he said this in a message titled, Slow is Beautiful. I, I, I just love the title itself. This, this uh, morning, my son was describing me to a Pokemon, and he used the adjective, I think, Dad, you're more like this Pokemon, because one of the things he said out of all the other things that were positive was that he was slow. And I didn't like that. It kind of rubbed me the wrong way. <laughs> but I know what he was getting. And I was like, and I'm coming to teach this message. And I had to remind myself, slow is beautiful. But he says this, only when we slow down our lives can we catch up with God. 
that's worth the price of admission right there. Oh, that only when we slow down our lives can we catch up with God. So many of us are just so far ahead of God with the way we are living, the pace of life that we are going at. Only when we slow down can we catch up with God. In that same message, Rich um, references a Japanese theologian who writes about our three-mile-per-hour God. Three-mile-per-hour God. Three miles per hour is the average pace that us humans walk. Three miles, I, I probably walk at four, my wife too, but on average, <laughs> it's three, okay? And isn't it interesting that when the Bible speaks about our faith journey, our spiritual life, it describes it as a walk with God. Not a run, not a sprint. But the primary descriptor, the primary image, it's a we're walking with God. But that's not the pace the majority of us live at. At best, we are speed walking, and many of us are on a full-on sprint. We would describe life as fast-paced, as rushing, busy, frantic, and hurried. Carl Jung once said, and you guys have probably heard this before, but hurry is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil. Carl Jung talks about hurry. Being, he describes it as being involved in manyness and muchness, just, just involved with all of these things. Hear me. You will never find joy and satisfaction by living a hurried life. Never. Never. Someone once asked the author Mark Buchanan, what his biggest regret in life was. And this was his response. My biggest regret, being in a hurry. Getting to the next thing without fully entering the thing in front of me. I cannot think of a single advantage I've ever gained from being in a hurry. But a thousand broken and missed things, tens of thousands lie in the wake of all that rushing. Church, I, I just want to ask you one more time. Are you exhausted? Are you rushing from one thing to the next? Are you hurried? Another way to just figure out where you are is do you have time to do the most important things there are to do in life? Do you have time to connect with God? Do you have time to connect with the people that are in front of you, your family, your friends, your church community, the people at work? Do you, or can you be present with them? Can you just sit with them? If you're exhausted, let's talk about how we can respond. How do we respond? What's one step that we can take to eliminate hurry? And this is where it kind of gets prescriptive. And, and I just want you to, I spent three quarters of the message just kind of tearing us down, <laughs> like letting us know where we're getting it wrong. Well, there's hope. This, this is the hope. God has an ancient path. He has a good way. And this is what, it's, it's simple. Let's start here. Learn how to say no. Some of us don't, do not have that word in our vocabulary. No, let's practice together. Can we say one, two, three? No, it's, you can do it. 
You can do it. If you guys are familiar with the Enneagram, <clears throat> I feel bad for you twos, your, you helpers. You guys do not know how to say no at all. And it's wearing you out. And it's wearing out the people around you. Start to say no to things. Learn to have limits. Remember that you are a human being made with limits. Remember that your soul can't be stretched. Simplify your life by being involved in less. Have enough margin. There's a book. Um, Faye, do you remember the name of that book? I think it was called Margin. Um, <laughs> it's a great title. Um, but he, he just gives this simple illustration. You know, you remember in, your, in high school and college, you, you know, notebook paper, right? It had margins. So many of us are writing to the very end of the page. We go past the margin. Learn to have margin. Margin that will allow you to connect. Again, it's, this is all about connection. This is all about relationships. It's all about living a life of satisfaction, a life in God. Margin to connect with your friends and family. Margin to connect with your church community. Margin to, to even do the work that God has called you to do, to, to, to give to your job. This is not about sacrificing work, but it, is, it does possibly mean setting boundaries. But most importantly, out of everything, margin to connect with God, to spend that. And you can't do that if your time is maxed out, maxed out. I, I, um, I hesitate to share this example of, of saying no because um, some of you are involved in, in ministry here at, at Current. And so um, I can't leave this church in a worse position as far as with volunteers than the way I found it. So, but here, here's the honest truth when it comes to that. You know, it's not about dropping the easiest thing or that, oh, they won't miss me. No, you will be missed. But if you are involved in four or five ministries, yes, you probably need to say no to some things. But what, what, ends, what needs to happen is some of us are maxed out in other areas of life that we haven't been able to say yes to this community. And, and what needs to happen is the entire church needs to participate in, in generosity and serving and playing a part in what God is doing in this community. Trisha Neal, she's from um, England. She, she wrote a great book. Um, she leads Alpha, and one of the things she says is, with the, with the participation of the congregation, of the full congregation, a church can afford a big vision. We need everyone to get involved in order to accomplish what God wants to do in this community through this ministry. But it's not going to be a few people being maxed out, being burned out, being spent. Your pastors, the fact that they're here, again, that is a blessing. That is a good thing. The best thing that Dave and Cindy can bring to this church is a healthy them, is to be healthy, is to be connected with God, is to be connected with each other. The best thing you bring to your family, to your friends, to your job is a healthy and rested you. That's what's going to allow you to think, be creative, and produce but you need to have rhythms. You need to have boundaries. You need to have margin in your life. Here's another thing that we need to do. Sabbath. 
okay? We need to Sabbath. We need to practice this ancient rhythm. It's a 24-hour period where we disconnect from work so that we can better connect with God and his creation. We need to set aside regularly a large chunk of time to just be unhurried and unproductive. It's just to do nothing. To, during that time, we don't try to make anything happen. We just relax. We pray. We enjoy God and our friends and family, and that's it. Sounds crazy, right? We just, just we plan to do nothing. That's it. But God built this into the rhythms of our lives. This is part of the ancient and spiritual life. One of the Ten Commandments is to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Now, whenever, whenever the Sabbath is mentioned in the Old Testament, there are two reasons given why we are to practice this ancient rhythm, this ancient practice weekly in our lives. The first one is in the story of creation. It says that God rested after six days of work. Now, I wouldn't go as far as saying that God needed rest, but what he modeled for us is the rhythm that we should have because it's good and it's blessed. The one who never sleeps or slumbers found it necessary to find rest, to, to actually get rest. And what I also find interesting about the story of creation is that God's day of rest, which was the seventh day, is actually our first day, right? He made Adam and humanity on the sixth day, and the very next day that they enter is a day of rest. This might seem small or insignificant, but I believe it is massive. We are to work from our rest, not simply rest from our work. We are, we are to enter our work week full of the life of God, not run to rest because we have been depleted. It seems minor and significant, but it's there. there's a huge distinction. That could be a whole message in itself. We are to work from our rest. We are to work from the life that God has given us, not, not rest from our work, because it is the life that we have in God that is most important. But here's the second reason given why we are to practice Sabbath, and it's found in Deuteronomy 5, okay? And this is what it says there. This is Moses teaching the people of Israel. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. He's reminding them, you were slaves. You worked seven days a week because you were forced to. You had no choice. And he says, now we are to Sabbath because it shows that we are not slaves to our work. God has delivered us from that. We don't want to be slaves to our work. We need to be reminded, you and I, we need to be reminded that we are not holding the world up, that God is. That we can take a break because God is the one who is in control. Sabbath is a countercultural, like just declaration, resistance, that we are not independent, that we are not self-dependent, that we are not many gods, but we are dependent on the one true God. That you can take a break. Here's the most important thing as we talk about the God of rest. 
I've given you some practical things, some physical things, which I believe just pour out God's grace on us. You know, it's not about the practice itself. Like when you pray or you read the Bible or you fast, like you don't, you don't get a check mark. You don't get a, a gold star just by doing those things. The blessing comes when God's grace is poured out as we posture ourselves in those positions to receive from him. And, and so that's what we are after is just God to refresh us in those moments. But here's the most important thing when you think about the God of rest. It's the eternal rest that God gives us. And I'm not talking about a passing away, but it's the rest that only comes when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, who is Lord, who is Savior. You can rest. You can enter into his rest because you no longer have to strive to earn your keep. You no longer have to strive to have an identity. You can be a child of God by simply placing your faith in Jesus Christ. And that is the eternal rest that he gives us. It guarantees a transformed life in the here and now and the eternal life with him when that day comes. God is a God of rest. God is a God of rest. Have you entered that rest? So with all of that in the backdrop, let me just kind of give you some practical tips, some challenges for you today. What's going to be your Sabbath day of rest? For our family, what we do is starting Friday evening, we go to, from Friday evening to Saturday evening. 24 hours where we just plan not to work. I turn off my email. Um, I, yeah, we don't, we, we try to get the kids, make sure that they're not doing any homework. And we've always, for a long time, we've practiced the Sabbath, but honestly, in the last year, we've seen some fruit from it, not because of what we changed or what we're doing differently during those 24 hours, but it's actually been the preparation for the Sabbath. That's been a game changer for us. So starting like Thursday evening and into, into Friday afternoon, we are preparing. We are making sure we're getting groceries done. We're doing the chores. The kids are doing their homework. They're doing their chores. And we are just getting ready. And what, what's really cool is once we're ready around 5, 6, 6 p.m., we do something to mark the moment. And people do different things. Um, they, they, they do a washing of their hands to just mark, God, I'm leaving all that stuff behind from the week, and I'm just entering into this time with you. Uh, what we do is we light a candle. We light a candle to mark the moment, and we say a prayer together. God, we are entering into your rest. We are reminded at this moment that you are the one who sustains us, not us. So could we just in this time, connect with you and connect with each other and your creation. It's been a game changer. And I believe we have a good life in Christ because of the rhythms that we have, because we're not spent, because we have something left in the tank to give to one another and to give to God because we've been filled up by him. And that's what I want for you. Dallas Willard has this great line. He says, if you don't come apart for a while, you will come apart after a while. This is not a message meant to bring shame or guilt. I know a lot of you are extremely hard workers, and that is great. But at what expense? At what expense? 
Honestly, I, I would rather be thought lazy by the world, but have a good marriage, to be a good dad, to, to help my neighbors and those in my community learn to follow Jesus, than to be seen as a success in this world. I'd rather leave money on the table. I'd rather leave experiences, whatever it might be, on the table. Because I want more of him and more of these people in my life. That's it. What do you desire? Stop at the crossroads and look. And look. You're at a crossroads. Ask for the ancient past. Ask where the good way is. I've just shared a few things with you today. Walk in it. Walk in it. What's the fruit? You will find rest for your weary soul. Jesus once said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That is the promise for you today. My encouragement is that you walk in it and seek the God of rest. Let me pray for us. God, only you know where your people are today. I, I believe we, uh, we're really good at deceiving ourselves. There are times where I think I'm doing well and all of a sudden my body starts to tell me, no, well, you are stressed. You are anxious right now in this season. And I thank you for those signals because it points me back to you, God. It reminds me of the rest that I can find in you. And I just pray that right now, Holy Spirit, that you will bring to mind, bring to our hearts where we are probably just giving way too much, where we are overextending ourselves. God, allow us to have eyes to see, to look at the condition of our souls today, but then to be able to have the courage and the strength to do something about it to make a plan. Many of us in this room are planners. We have a calendar of all the things that we're going to do in this upcoming week. I pray that we will incorporate rest into our calendars, into our schedules. A time to break, a time to prepare for the Sabbath. Honestly, and God just teach us to say no to things, to live a simpler life. Would you help us do that? Would you speak to your people? Give us the strength that we need. God, we pray for David and Cindy and all the leaders and staff members um, of this church. God, that they would model this for the people. What it means to find rest in you. God, we want to receive from you today. We continue.